All right. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. Thankful for everyone that's able to join us today and whatever platform that you're able to come on. Um, so if you're coming in on the Zoom app, um, just really quickly, uh, if you'd like to comment or uh, have any questions about what we're talking about today, you can submit those to the chat window or the Q&A box. Uh, or if you're coming in on Scott's Facebook page, then you can put those comments or questions that you have down in the comment window. And we'll be monitoring both of those throughout the show. Um, and uh, if you have any questions about what we're talking about today or any other questions about any other topic you'd like us to discuss in the future, you can put those in those places or after the show, uh, go to our website, BibleQuest.tv, and you can uh, leave your questions there as well. And we'll get to those in future shows. Um, so uh, let's bring in the panelists uh, who we have with us today. Um, we've got Justin Dobbs with us again this week. How are you doing today, Justin? Doing just fine, Jonathan. Thanks for having us on. Yeah, good to see you. And we got Dan Bunting as well. How are you, Dan? I'm well. I'm well. Good, good to see you. And our program director, Scott Smelser. How are you doing, Scott? I'm alive and kicking. Oh, that's good. That's good. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, where are we going to start off today, Scott? So we had a question that came in right at the end of the program last week. What does the Bible say about self-defense? And so we're going to be looking at that question today. And we're going to be answering what the question asks. What does the Bible say about self-defense? Not uh, what does our culture approve of, what's legal or what's not legal, uh, what's the Constitution, what's the Bill of Rights, et cetera, et cetera. We're talking about what the Bible says about self-defense. And we're also going to be talking about the distinction between um, uh, an a, a sinful desire to get back at people that is very, 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 very natural, but wrong. It's just, you know, there, there's a selfishness in us that wants to get back when we have been done wrong. And we'll be talking about the differences between that and some Old Testament passages. And we want to remember that they are Old Testament passages, but the, the question was, what does the Bible say from it? And so let's go ahead and get into that. And who wants to start? Anybody? Well, we can maybe start, I guess I'll, I'll pick my verse, um, because this is something that I often think about in this conversation. Uh, there are a lot of different places that we could go to talk about some different principles. Um, my mind goes to Romans chapter 12, where um, Paul is is in the section in the letter where he's starting to break down kind of the practical side of Christianity um, and, you know, what it means to be a Christian practically, how we treat each other, um, how we live our lives, different responsibilities that we have. And near the end of that chapter, he starts to discuss um, really for the last like few verses in the chapter, uh, the idea of vengeance um, and how Christians should deal with vengeance or, or uh, justifying yourself in situations. And so he says in Romans 12, verse 17, <clears throat> repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Um, and so he uses some pretty, I think, final language there. Um, my mind especially goes to 
uh, where uh, he says in verse um, 19, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Um, this is kind of a concept that shows up all throughout the scriptures when it comes to, uh, you know, getting even or having justice or whatever. It's not our responsibility to bring people to justice. Uh, the Lord will, will handle that and take care of that, the wrath of God. And he, he is the owner of vengeance uh, in that sense. It's our responsibility to do good and to love, you know, our neighbor uh, as ourselves, and those types of things. Um, but he does also mention in this section, and I think the end of chapter 12 is tied into chapter 13, one of the ways that God does bring about vengeance. Um, in chapter 13, it starts to talk about the government and how God has established government in that way um, to, you know, incur judgment on those that, that act wickedly uh, in, you know, society or things like that. So there are different ways that God has established in which when someone is wronged, how that wrong is to be made right. And it's never this personal vendetta or personal vengeance. That's never the answer according to the scriptures. Let's, let's read this text here in Romans 13. So after saying, you don't take vengeance, don't render evil for evil, give place to the wrath of God, to he, he, vengeance is his, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. And then it says in verse two, if you resist the authorities, you get, resist what God has appointed. And rulers, verse three, are not a terror to good, to good conduct, but to bad. In verse four, he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. So that's the role of government is to punish evildoers. So it's not that we're just to live in a world and, and you know, hope evildoers prosper, uh, but it's the government's role to, to deal with them. Uh, any other comments on that text? I have a question uh, or a comment, a topic to bring up here. I don't want us to spend too much time on it. But when I think about the works of the flesh in Galatians chapter six, five, it makes it, it strikes me very much that almost everything in the works of the flesh is a perversion of something good. So idolatry is a perversion of? Worship of God. Yeah. Uh, fornication is a perversion of? Sexual relationship God made. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and our desire for vengeance is a perversion of justice. Mm -hmm. Is justice a good thing? But... Yeah it's so easy for us to take our desire for justice and pervert it into a thing where, you know, Jonathan pokes me in the eye. So what do I want to do? Or poke him in the eye. And then he wants, then now I poked him in the eye. So then he wants to poke me in the eye and stomp on my foot. And then, you know, and you, if you look at the middle East, this has been going on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, you know, because each side is always remembering the last injustice done in retaliation for the previous one. And, and it gets, it gets bitter and, and, and ugly and we're to give place to the wrath of God. And one way God does that is through government. Any comments on that before we move forward? Dan. Yeah. I, verse 18 has always just stood out at me as not just with this one topic, but 
just, sorry, chapter 12, verse 18. Uh, it's just one of the most important um, life verses or memory verses. You know, as much as it depends on you with everything that you can, you need to live peaceably with all. And, you know, the joke is you can't break down somebody's door to make sure that you're happy and they're happy, you know, because um, that, that, that's going past it. But I need to do everything I can to be at peace with people. And if they're storming away or they don't want to hear me, well, that's, that's the limit. There's a, there's a boundary that's set up there. I can do everything within my boundary to have peace. And um, that's, that's uh, uh, I think, a key foundation um, that's connected back to um, Matthew 5, which is one of the passages that I think is, is uh, helpful in thinking about, in thinking about um, the, the, the idea of self-defense. If you want to jump to Matthew chapter 5, I think that this is really what then would feed um, the concept there in Romans 12, 18, um, the, the teachings of the, of the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter five, when he starts talking about, you've heard that it was said, you know, people have been saying this, but Jesus says, but I say unto you, you've heard these things, but this is what Jesus says about those things. And he begins in verses 38, really through the rest of the chapter, talking about um, paying people back the vengeance that, that Paul just talked, we just read what Paul wrote about that in Romans 12 and getting into 13. And then in verse 43, he talks about the love that we need to have for our enemies. But he says there in verse 38, uh, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And it, it, there's this image there of turning an offering. And Jesus speaks in extremes a lot of the time. He says, if, you're, if you have an eye problem that's causing you to sin, cut your eyeball out. That's an extreme. Um, so when, when he says, if someone slaps you on the cheek, turn and offer the other, that's, that's a principle, uh, and it's a pretty extreme demonstration of that principle. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that if someone is robbing my, uh, uh, you know, stealing the car out of my garage, that I need to give them the keys to the house as well, but it does say that I shouldn't go after them with the crowbar and scream and, you know, you know there, there's this image here of doing what we can to be at peace and um, and, and trying to not retaliate on our own. There's, there's ways that we can handle the, that theft where we can call the police and we can report this and we can get a good description of, of what the person looked like. Um, it says in verse 43, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. People had said that. The Bible doesn't say that except for right there. People had said you're supposed to hate people. But Jesus says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the good and the bad. You know, God made all the people, and I don't get to choose which people I'm going to treat well and which ones I'm going to pay back. And um, if someone is hurting me, I think that the Bible, there's some passages I think we're going to get into in a little bit that talks about the concept of I'm allowed to defend myself, I'm allowed to stick up my hands and protect my face and protect my body or protect someone next to me. Uh, but the idea is, where do I get the, the biblical teaching that I need to then turn it around and throw it onto somebody else? Um, to me, it goes back to verses, verse five, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, the meek, the gentle, 
um, that lowly spirit is, is that's the direction that Jesus points us in. And so those aren't words about self-defense, but to me, that's a foundation that I need to stand on when I think about the idea of self-defense. So I've got a, a, a short story about that in a minute, but first, Jonathan, you had your hand up. Yeah, there was a question that that came in, um, trying to understand exactly what was meant by the question, so you can clarify uh, if you want, but a question uh, that said, do we see a contradiction in 1 Corinthians when it speaks of handling matters? And I assume that maybe you're referring to like 1 Corinthians chapter 6, um, that question was from Jay, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, where the Christians are suing one another, um, and Paul basically tells them, you know, why don't you, why don't you solve the problem by yourself? <laughs> you know, why do you need to go to the judge? Um, what do you guys have to say about that? Assuming that that was what you were referring to. So I think there's two things uh, that are different between Romans 13 and, and 1 Corinthians 6. Paul, specific, Paul didn't say never go to court. He said, don't go to court against a brother. Yeah. By the way, we live in a very litigious society. We live in a society where there's a lot of people waiting for an opportunity to sue somebody. Uh, but there are occasions where a lawsuit is appropriate and it, it will send a message that will also help protect other people. Uh, and, and Paul doesn't say you can never, ever go to court. He says, don't go to court against a brother. And so that's the context there. He said, solve that within yourselves, or he offered another option. Well, there, he says, are there not people among you, brothers among you, who can act as judge? So shouldn't we go to fellow Christians to help solve some of these brother-to-brother uh, -brother conflicts that we have? Yeah, yeah. If I've hired Jonathan and Dan to, to build a garage for me and they get done and I say, I don't think you did a good enough job. I don't want to pay you. And they said, you told us not to use the best equipment. You told us a skimp. This is what we built. You need to pay it. You know, go to Justin. And we say, Justin, you know, what do you think? Or there was another option in first Corinthians six. Why not rather suffer the wrong? Sometimes, sometimes you got two people who honestly think, I think this was fair. I think that was fair. And sometimes it's just better to say, you know what? We're going to do it your way. Divert to the other person. That's and that, that, that connects to when Jesus says, if they slap you on the right cheek, turn and offer the other. Um, I don't know if that means if someone's coming, <laughs> that means that I always have to bow down to every slug that's getting thrown at me. But there is that, that philosophy of why not just suffer the wrong if this is something that you can, can put up with. And you know, this is interesting. I want to talk about this text here in Matthew 5, 38 and 39 in detail a little bit. Jesus said, if someone slaps you on the right cheek, uh, the word here for smite is used twice in the New Testament. Uh, King James, I think, has smite. But the other time it's used in the New Testament, you might find it used elsewhere in some other way. But in the New Testament, the two times are this, here and in the uh, uh, mistreatment of Jesus in the night before he was crucified where they smote him with an open palm. So th this is not a life-threatening thing. This is not something 
that's you know you need to stop it's unpleasant it's painful it's insulting and that's what it's intended to be the person slapping you in the face they want it to hurt they want it to be degrading they want it to insult you and jesus says don't do it back and i want to say something about that but first go to jonathan yeah, um, two questions actually that have just come in. So uh, one from Patrick, uh, the Old Testament um, in this statement where Jesus is saying, you know, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, but hate your enemy. Um, and maybe comment, you know, nowhere uh, that, that we're aware of does God say, you know, to hate your enemy. Um, and but Patrick asked the question uh, saying, does the Old Testament law instruct the Israelites sometimes to hate their enemy in certain situations? Are you all familiar with anywhere in the Old Testament, because my understanding of, of Matthew 5, 43 was Jesus was quoting kind of pharisaical tradition um, and not quoting from scripture. Was, is there anywhere that you all are aware of where he does say to hate the you, enemies? You go ahead, Scott. You can go ahead, Scott. Uh, there are some Psalms where it talks about hating the evil uh, and in, in, in hating the evildoers. There are some Psalms that refer to that. Uh, but on this particular thing, let's comment on this, and I'll throw the question out there. We, we got two or three irons here in the fire, so let's try to keep in mind. But does the Old Testament say an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth? Yes. Yeah. Does it say it more than once? Yes. yes. In what context was it used every single time? It's not personal vengeance. Setting. Yeah, right. Yeah, it involves either judges or witnesses. This is not, this was not part of the law of Moses that said, if Jonathan pokes out my eye, I'm supposed to poke out his eye. If I knock out his tooth, he's supposed to knock out my tooth. No, this was when you went, you know, and, and you followed the, the, the courses and it was a matter of law with judges and witnesses. And the penalty was to fit the crime. If you murdered somebody and you were found guilty of that, you were put to be executed. If you, you know, violently hit somebody and poked out their eye, the court's gone after you're found guilty, your eye is going to be put out. That had probably been uh, morphed into personal vengeance sometimes. And what does the Old Testament say about personal vengeance? Don't take it. Yeah, give us some examples, some specific texts. Earlier, as Dan was talking about Matthew 5, I don't, I'm not thinking of the law in particular. I'm thinking of the example of David. Um, it's an interesting triad of stories, sort of a frame story in 1 Samuel 24, 25, and 26, where in 24 and 26, Saul is hunting down David's life. And because Saul is the Lord's anointed, he's, he's the current king of Israel, David right. refuses to take his life. Even, you know, Saul's trying to kill him uh, unjustly. But then in chapter 25, it's really interesting. David is tempted to uh, react harshly against this insult that Nabal has made against him. And then Abigail comes to the rescue uh, and, and says, won't God fulfill his promises to you? Far be it from you as the king of Israel to do this thing. Uh, you'll, you'll regret this. And so David praises her for her wisdom to keep him back from taking personal vengeance against this you know, literal fool. 
Uh, and of course, God does in that story take immediate vengeance. And in the story, David mentions you, I believe he said, you saved me from blood guiltiness. Yes, that's right. He wasn't having the attitude that he had with Saul this time. This time he was insulted. He was angry. His pride was offended. And he was going to teach somebody a lesson and, and kill people. And Abigail saved him from blood guiltiness. Go ahead. Yeah, and I'll just say it, it's interesting in that triad of stories, you've got um, David's life being threatened. And we would think more along the lines of self-defense. And he doesn't. Now there, he's got a loyalty to the Lord and the Lord's anointed. Um, but still, there's a principle there. He's more tempted to stand up for his honor. And yeah. I, I think there are certainly going to be things that we need to think through as Christians. How do I respond to um, my life being threatened or the life of my family being threatened? I think we have a question about that um, in, the, in the chat. But probably we're going to be more tempted to reactions against our honor. Uh, it's not going to be so much when a thief breaks into my house, that could happen. It does happen, but it's probably going to be more my brother in Christ or my neighbor. Uh, I think, you know, our, we love our enemies because oftentimes our enemies and our neighbors are the same people. Uh, we, we, we're probably more likely to struggle with that kind of vengeance than uh, issues of self-defense, but there's still an important question to answer. Oh. I'd, I, this reminds me of the story I was going to tell. I'll try to make it fairly short. But let's also notice this from the Old Testament. You sh shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So the second greatest commandment there in the second part of verse 18, same verse, said don't take vengeance. And the book of Proverbs says, don't say I'm going to do to him as he did to me. So the idea that under the law of Moses, you know, you were to go around getting even with people, and then Jesus says, don't, that's not it. In the law of Moses, also not take vengeance. Now, on this thing about honor, so quick story, I was breaking up an altercation between a man and an older pregnant woman. Uh, the man was older too, but he was bigger, stronger, and the pregnant woman was pitching a major fit trying to kick him and screaming and yelling and obscenities and everything. I'm trying to keep him calm and I'm, you know, trying to keep him from doing anything he doesn't need to do. And she takes advantage of that while I'm talking to him because he's getting pretty hot. And uh, she hits him in the face. This is like a maybe in her 40s, pregnant, not very big woman. He clocks her, you know, down she goes, bloody nose. About that time, the police got there. He got arrested. Then um, he called me, asked me if I would come to his trial and testify that it was self-defense. And I said, you don't want me to testify because I would have to say what happened. And you, you are not in danger. You know, that pregnant woman couldn't hurt you. I said, you got mad. And I said, I understand why you were mad. You know, she was, she was pushing your buttons. But you got mad. And when she popped you on the chin, you got mad, you lost your temper, and you clocked her. So I said, you know, I, I, I wish to, and it was a tough situation because years ago he'd robbed a bank 
and uh, he had a couple of strikes against him. And so he was looking at maybe some serious jail time. But uh, and after we talked about it, you know, he understood. Um, and I hope it didn't go too badly for him. But just because somebody's done something against us doesn't mean that we can claim that we have a right to do this. And this statement where Jesus says, I think a lot of people want to say, well, it doesn't mean that literally. What did Jesus mean to do if somebody slaps you on the face? In other words, when Jesus is speaking figuratively, it's a figure of something. You know, I am the door. He doesn't literally mean he's a door, but it means he is the, the entry. Yeah, yeah. If somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn the other also, doesn't mean, well, Jesus wasn't speaking literally. Uh, what he really meant was pop them back. No, that is exactly what he did not mean. Um, but that is different than what has been brought up. And so let's talk about that. And we're going to take a look at Deuteronomy 22. Um, Scott, real quick, as you go along here, I'm noticing in the questions, um, Patrick Donahue has said, in all six, you have heard it said, but I say in due cases, Jesus quotes actual Old Testament law. Um, the quote uh, love your neighbor as yourself, um, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. I don't think you can find the hate your enemy there in Leviticus. Right. It's, it's sort of this, right. it's, um, it's sort of this assumed tag on. We think, oh, right. well, I know what God then means. If we're to love our neighbor, then therefore I should also hate my enemy. And that's just a dangerous assumption to make anytime we think, oh, I know what God means here. Therefore, we got to be really careful about that. So the quote is love your neighbor. Exactly. Um, and who is my neighbor? And then you start looking through Jesus's teaching in Luke 10 and you got yes. the Samaritan, the Jews. Your enemy is your neighbor. I mean, your yeah, enemy. It's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The, the real question is to who am I going to be a neighbor? Uh, so you've got a confusion there, I think. Let's make a comment on that. When Jesus in chapter four intended to quote scripture, how did he introduce it? Matthew. It is written. It is written, it is written, it is written. Matthew 5, after the salt and light thing, starts talking about the Pharisees and scribes who had mistaught them and said, unless your righteousness exceeds their righteousness, you will not inherit the kingdom of heaven because they break God's commandments and teach men to do so. And then he goes, you have heard that it was said. Mm -hmm. And most of them are quotes from scripture, but this one isn't. Mm -hmm. Jesus is not saying it is written, but I say it is written, but I say he is saying most of the time you have heard that it was said. And this time they misrepresented it. And other times, you know, you can quote this part and ignore that part. A lot of the Pharisees did a lot of that. All right. So Jonathan. I think you're about to you're about to go here, but we got this question that also came in um, speaking about a specific situation. So Deuteronomy 22 and maybe also Exodus 22 will maybe kind of speak to this a little. The question is, if someone breaks into your home intending to do you harm, can you defend your life, even if it means bringing harm to the individual intending to harm or harm you, possibly even to the point of death? Okay, so Exodus 22 is going to be talking about that. And so we'll look there in a minute. First, let's take a look at Deuteronomy 22, since I've got it up here. 
And then we'll go to Exodus 22 that talks about someone coming into your home. Um, but uh, I, I'd seen a question uh, asked a couple of weeks ago in another format where the question was raised up. Um, the Bible says, you know, turn the other cheek, but what about sexual assault? Jesus was not talking about sexual assault in Matthew 5. Jesus said, if somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn the other. If they are suing you for your coat, give them your cloak also. If they compel you to go one mile, go two. All of those are reasonable and appropriate. They're meek, they're serving, they're peace pursuing, they're helpful, and they're reasonable. If the Roman soldier said, carry this a mile, go an extra mile. Jesus didn't say, go a thousand miles and follow him the rest of your life. That's not needful or reasonable. Jesus said, if he sues you for your coat, give him your cloak also. Jesus didn't say, also sign over the farm and the barn and the house and all the livestock and sell your wife and children into slavery to her. Mm -hmm. That's not reasonable. And Jesus didn't, Jesus said, if they slap you on the cheek, turn the other also. Jesus did not say, if he's going to rape one of your daughters, say, and here's the other daughter. That's entirely different. And let's look at that in Deuteronomy 22. All right. Uh, this is the Old Testament, but there's a significant principle here. Uh, in other verses, it talks about virgins and, and, and uh, uh, married people and stuff. This is the betrothed. Verse 23, if there is a betrothed virgin and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, what's to happen? Verse 24. You shall bring them both to the city gate and you shall stone them to death with stones. Okay, he's guilty. He's, he's lying with a betrothed woman. Uh, it's, it's not that he's to marry her, that he didn't have a right to her. He's guilty. He's to be put to death. She's to be put to death too. Why? It says because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city. Yeah, because she did not cry for help. Implied there was no resistance. Yeah. When, when there naturally would have been. Right. If she didn't want this to happen, if some thug had, you know, pulled her into a barn, she would have cried for help. But she didn't even though she's in the city and there's plenty of people around, she didn't cry for help because she's consenting. So who's put to death? Both of them. But what does it say in verse 25? If the same thing happens in the country and uh, then only the man will be convicted um, because later on it says she's in the open country and in verse 27, uh, she couldn't, there's no one to cry for help to. You shall do nothing to the young woman. It's the case like a man attacking and is murdering his neighbor. He met her in the country, in the open country. And though the young woman cried for help, there was no one to rescue her. So in that case, you only put to death the man. Uh, let's go back to in the city. What should this woman have done if a man came and tried to lie with her? She, it was her job to cry for help. Well, what does that imply? Okay. If you, 
self-defense, right? Like some kind of resistance. She's not just going along with it and saying, well, God's grace teaches me just to kind of lie down and take it. No, like right, just to right, right. resist. Yeah, this is not a slap on the cheek. This is much more serious. You know, uh, the, the, again, the things that Jesus says in Matthew 5, the principle is don't do evil for evil. Don't say, I'm going to get him back. Resisting a racist is not about, I'm going to get him back. It's about resisting a rapist. Hitting somebody back that slapped you on the cheek, that's about vengeance. That's about, I want to get him back. This needs to be stopped. And so if it's her job to cry for help, what's my job and your job if we're within earshot? To help. And that is not a violation of, of biblical principles. And if I stop him, and if, if I approach and he runs, at least that helped her. But if he's apprehended, uh, and if he's stopped, that's also the best thing for him. The best thing I can do for a woman in that situation is to stop him. The best thing I can do for the community is to stop him. And the best thing I can do for him is to stop him. If one of the four of us were ever, ever so foolish to have gotten it in our mind to, you know, act like Absalom or, or rape somebody, and the other three saw that this was about to happen, what kind of friends would we be if we let the other one carry out and act like that? Right. Right. So this is a time where you, you need to stop the person. Uh, this is not about vengeance. Right. This is not about uh, whether or not to turn the other cheek when you're being insulted. This is where God made, I believe we have a responsibility uh, to, to provide and protect and, and care. And, and this is an illustration of that. Go ahead, comments. Mm -hmm. Because this, this would be uh, when I was talking about the, the, the meek shall inherit the earth and, and the importance of, of if, it, if at all possible, as far as depends on you, live peaceably with all. To me, that's this great foundation of how am I going to operate in every single uh, circumstance. And then in this circumstance, I'm going to use meekness as much as I can, but, but saving is implied here. Defending is implied yeah. here. Um, yeah. that, that is the right thing to do. Um, a lot like, um, you know, it, you can't meekly chop wood. You have to go at it and you got to do the work hard and you have to do the, you have to do the hard thing. Um, that doesn't mean that I'm going to go dynamite the hillside and, and you know, uh, there needs to be self-control and temperance and things like that. But that does not mean that we, meekness does not necessitate allowing evil. It just means that we proceed with meekness or with self-control. Well put. And in the scenario we just described, it would be exceedingly tempting in stopping and apprehending that criminal to go beyond that and start venting, you know, and, and just, just beat them to a bloody pulp after they're down. But, and that would be a temptation to be resistant. Yeah. You know, stopping somebody is one thing. D deciding to unload on them uh, is another thing. Jonathan. 
Yeah. yeah, and maybe that also gets a little bit into the discussion, the situation that's in Exodus 22, which is which is more similar to the question yep. that came up, you know, someone breaks into your house and they're trying to do you harm. Um, Exodus 22 has an interesting scenario that, that's brought up and starting in verse two, it says, if a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, then there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, then there shall be blood guilt for him. He shall surely pay. If he has nothing, then he shall be sold as a thief, uh, for his theft. So there's this scenario where somebody breaks into your house, and if it's night, um, and he's hit in such a way that he dies, this thief dies, then the one that strikes him at night won't be guilty. Says there's no blood guilt for that. And so, like, I'll just ask, like, why? Why the difference? Why? Why is it a difference? Like, there's no blood guilt if the sun has risen, but if the sun has risen, there is blood guilt. Let's, let's read it again slowly here so the audience sees it. Verse two, if a thief is found breaking in, so this is like a home invasion, and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. But if the sun has risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. So very it just means that in the PM God's fine with murder, but in the AM he's not. <laughs> there we go. No. It's like parking, you know, parking between these hours is no good, and parking after these hours is fine. So uh I've seen people <laughs> with signs like, you know, trespassers will be shot. We don't fire warning shots, you know, nothing here is worth your life. And it's the idea if you're gonna take my stuff, I'm gonna kill you. And in the old testament that would mean you are a murderer. So certainly in the New Testament, you are a murderer. If the sun is risen. But if the sun's not up, you're not guilty for murder. Why would the difference be? So, so I'm thinking maybe two reasons here. One, um, if in the daytime, I see a guy hauling my TV out the window. I know what he's after. My right. family is not in danger. I right. don't need to think, oh, I need to protect my family. You know, here, take my TV. You know, I'm going to turn the other cheek kind of thing. Or um, say, no, give my TV back, but don't kill him, you know. Right. All right. I might chase after him and say, hey, you know, <laughs> you're bring back my TV. And, uh, you know, um, but uh, if it's the nighttime, I don't know what he's after. Uh, I hear somebody breaking in, making some noise downstairs. I hear a window break. I'm thinking somebody's in my house in the nighttime. My van is in the driveway. They know I'm home. Right. What are they about? And uh, I, I have a responsibility for protecting the vulnerable, kind of exodus situation, but also loving my neighbor, my closest neighbors being my family. First Timothy 5, I need to provide for my family. Uh, so I've got a responsibility to protect my family. Am I going to break up my bazooka and you know, aim for his head. I don't have a bazooka, but you know, I'm 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 going to be right, right. I'm going to do what I can to protect my family. And if in the nighttime, uh, I end up taking his life, you know, I'm not trying to kill him, but I'm trying to protect my family. There's no blood guilt on me there. So one in the night, I can't see what he's after, but two, I also don't necessarily see what all is going on. So I might accidentally kill him and not mean to. Right. In the dark, if the sun is risen, you're a murderer. In the dark, 
you're not if, if he broke in and again there's if a thief might break into your house during the daytime thinking somebody's not home you can be out in the field i'm thinking contextually back in in the time you know it's not sure. people work night shift back then much uh at night they're home so if he's breaking in uh that, that's more day but you can't see you can't see how many there are you can't see what their intention is you can't see if there's a weapon and plus say you're a shepherd and you pick up your staff and swing it in the dark you don't necessarily if you're going to know if you're going to catch a, a shoulder or a rib or an unlucky shot on, on the head that turns fatal uh dan you had a hand up well, that that was it exactly um it, at night you can't tell if he's getting out of your house or coming in because it's dark you yep. just see him at the door or you see him at the window and you know you come out and you're swinging a stick you don't want to you want to scare somebody away you know you're doing everything you can to not hurt or even take you know take a life or hurt somebody and you're swinging in the dark and you might scare him because you hit the door yep. or you might hurt him because you hit him but it, but it, but it's in the dark and and i think that it's interesting that god god has a lot of grace for somebody who's doing everything they can to protect protect a household as well as it sounds like protect the life of someone that well he doesn't deserve life <laughs> he's he's forfeited it because he's invaded my no he's protecting that the the invader and he's protecting his own home and um, god has a lot of grace for mistakes or 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 a difficult situation in the dark uh, but and, in the in the light he's got it's almost like god says that but you know what you were doing because because you could see yeah and the home invader that's broken in in the dark he's the one that created the situation and if the blow happens to catch him in a way that doesn't he's one re responsible for that uh jonathan and justin well justin you can go first because my mind's going somewhere else well likewise but i'll go ahead and go uh because i'm thinking back to scott's comment about you know no trespassing things like that uh obviously it is fine jonathan thanks for having us on yeah, good uh, and we got dan bunting as well how are you dan i'm well uh, we want to. <laughs> we're good. All right. We want to. We want to protect um, our own. But um, you know, I've seen signs that say, you know, prayer is a great way to meet God. Trespassing is faster, kind of thing. Uh, I guess one of one of my concerns is that as Christians, um, we we might feed at the trough of worldly wisdom. Hollywood puts out these movies where the good guy is sort of uh, taking vengeance for the bad guys who did him wrong ten years earlier. And it's just it's just vengeance related, and we'll we'll get these services that um, that edit out bad language or sexual immorality, but the story itself kind of centers around a vengeance story. And I don't know what we're really doing to our souls here. Psalm eleven, verse five. Um, this is one of the passages that I think Scott was referring to, where it says that God actually hates the wicked person, not just the wicked deeds. You know, we talk about loving the sinner but hating the sin. Well, God, God hates the sinner too. In Psalm eleven five, the Lord tests the righteous, but His soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. Uh, I'm hearing some principles that say, okay, self defense. We do need to protect our families, uh, protect the vulnerable, yes. but this kind of bravado of I'm going to go after these guys and take them out, that would be far from the heart of a Christian. 
go ahead, make my day. You know, right. And Do you I've feel lucky? Fantasizing <laughs> about killing somebody, and I've been hoping somebody would give me an opportunity. Uh, right, right. Uh, by the way, back on the issue of like sexual assault on, on that question, I think it's very interesting to think about in Sodom. What does Lot foolishly do? Offers his two daughters. Here, here's two virgin daughters. Take them. Uh, do the angels say, oh, that's a good idea, Lot? No. They actually end up kind of protecting the whole house. Yes. Cause yes. all the men to become blind. But men with blindness, they, 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 they get everybody in safe and, and take care of things. And the angel model there, much better than the Lot model. But we do live in a society that celebrates, well, in just the attitude, nobody's going to disrespect me. Right. Guess what? There's some people that are going to disrespect you, <laughs> whether it's to your face or behind your back. There are some people that are going to disrespect you. And jail is full of people that ended up in a nasty bar fight where they ended up hurting or killing or, or maiming somebody because of an argument that started or a slap or a punch and they weren't going to let anybody disrespect them and now they shuffle along with their tray and their orange jumpsuit um jesus was disrespected jesus was reviled we need to get over the idea that our job is to make sure that we're never dishonored so protect the vulnerable, yes. Uh, love our neighbors, love our enemies, yes. Uh, but be humble, right? And Amen. You know, learn learn to accept the wickedness of the world and uh, do not return evil for good. I mean, there's a lot of principles here. I think that are we're not we're not addressing self defense squarely, but we're saying, hey, Christians, don't leave behind these principles as we're thinking through this messy world we live in. Right. Right. Any final comment, one, Jonathan? Closes. Yeah, one last comment that came in. Uh, TJ said maybe a rule of thumb is that self-defense, especially dispensing harm, should be used as our last resort. But it is justified if, like what Dan said, we are doing our best to protect ourselves and the others, including the perpetrator. I think that's probably a good summary of uh, those lines. Uh, obviously, in in this discussion, there are a lot of things that we could talk about. A lot of different Bible passages and principles to consider. Um, that there were a few that, that we had written down that we didn't get to, but uh, to our audience, if you want to go and read these, you're trying to weigh them in, in your mind um, and, and understand these, these truths, um, maybe Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, helpful principle to consider. We commonly call it the golden rule, um, but considering that in, in this discussion, 1 Peter chapter 2, talking about the pattern and example of Christ when he suffered unjustly, how he felt and he responded, and, and maybe some other places to go to. Um, um, but like how we started this whole conversation off with, we need to define our lives and live our lives according to what scripture reveals to us and not according to culture or, or you know, the constitution or, or whatever it is. Scripture is the rule uh, of our life. Um, and some of the things that scripture has to say are vastly different than what you'll hear in culture or society. Um, and so we need to be aware of that on this topic, but really every topic as we're trying to come to a better understanding of the truth. So thank you guys for, uh, Scott, go ahead. Real quick story I heard recently, if I remember it correctly, it's, it's worth over going over a minute to, to get this. 
I think I heard sometime this year about a lady who somebody was trying to steal something of hers or somebody, some, not something major, but, and then there was a conversation with the thief. They were caught there. And, and then listen, if you need something out, you know, do you need, you know, $10 or did you need something? And then the thief appreciated the kindness but didn't want to impose. <laughs> and, so then, no, and, you know, what, what a beautiful, if I remembered it correctly, what a beautiful example of just turning a situation around. Yeah. Yeah, great. All right. Um, well, thank you all for your discussion. Thank you to our audience for your participation and that if you have any other further questions or comments that you'd like us to discuss about that or any other topic, again, you can submit those to us at BibleQuest.tv and we'll be happy to get to those questions. Um, we did get a few questions. Hopefully we'll be able to talk about those maybe next week or in the future. Um, so thank you for that. And if you have more of those, keep sending them our way. That's why we do this show. We want to hear what you guys have to say and what you want to think about and talk about and answer your questions from the Bible. So uh, but that's all that we have for this week. So we will see you all next week, Lord willing.